Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Would you turn with me to your Bibles to Galatians 5.22? Galatians 5.22. We've been camping out there for a few weeks. This is the next installment of our sermon series, The Fullness of Life. From John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it in a mediocre kind of way, right? No. Have life, have it to the full, or as it says in the ESV, an abundant life, an overflowing life. And one of the key elements to this fullness or abundance of life is the fruit of the Spirit. And so that's why we've been so intentional, so focused on spending time and unwrapping each one of those fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. In just a couple weeks, we'll be moving on to the gifts of the Spirit. But in, before that, we've got some work yet to do in Galatians 5.22. So Galatians 5.22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And would you just join me in prayer as we ask God's help this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for life. Thank you for the breath of life in our lungs today. Thank you for giving us the ability to be here today. And God, we just simply lay ourselves before you and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us through your word? May it come alive to us. Would you remove all distractions and anything the evil one might intend to sabotage the good work that you want to accomplish during this time this morning? And so uh, may we be hearers of the word, but most importantly, may we be doers of the word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we come to the second to last fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness. And one of the authors that I read this week, he said that of the nine fruits, he felt that it is this one that is in least evidence in those who claim to name the name of Christ. Let me say that again. He felt that it is this particular fruit, gentleness, that is least in evidence in those who claim to name the name of Christ. So that's something for us to consider as we um, enter into our study today. As we have for the previous seven fruits, we're going to look at gentleness through this grid of gentleness defined, illustrated, commanded, and finally practiced. And so let's look at the first of these, gentleness defined. In, in Galatians 5.23, the word gentleness comes from the Greek praoutes, and I'm going to use that word a lot today, praoutes. I had to practice it a little bit to kind of make it flow. Um, but much like pistis last week, it is a rich word with a broad range of meaning, and it is probably best translated as meekness, as meekness, as it is in Matthew 5, 5, in the, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek. It's that root word, praus, for they shall inherit 
the earth. And here, here's why I think meek is a better translation than gentle. Gentleness speaks of our outward behavior, but meekness speaks of the inward disposition. And so meekness goes deeper. It goes all the way to the heart. Meekness talks about our being while gentleness talks about our doing, which means that ultimately gentleness is a manifestation of meekness. Gentleness is a manifestation of meekness. Now, it may seem like I'm splitting hairs unnecessarily this morning, but at the end of the day, I think there is a depth and a strength in meekness that surpasses how we would typically understand our English word gentleness. And so with that in mind, let's define prautes. John MacArthur did it this way, and I thought it was an excellent definition. He said, it is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge or retribution. Let me say that again. It is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge or retribution. So the idea is this. Someone provokes you in some way. Did anybody get provoked this week? What's the natural response when you are provoked? To strike back? To do like for like? And that's really what we promote as a culture. You're taught to stand up for yourself, to stand up for your rights. Don't let anybody take what's yours. But as followers of Jesus Christ, as we've been going through these fruits of the Spirit, we, we keep landing on the theme that we're not called to respond naturally, are we? We're called to something higher. We are called to respond supernaturally. And the supernatural response when provoked is to exercise prautes, gentleness rooted in meekness. Now, based on all this, we might be tempted to think that meekness is weak, that meekness is weakness. But the reality is that that couldn't be further from the truth. For you see, meekness is really strength under control, strength under under control. Not, it's not timidity. It's not passivity. Rather, it is harnessed power. Harnessed power. And one of the ways that the ancient Greeks sought to explain prautes was in the taming of a wild animal, kind of like a, a, the strength of a racehorse that has been brought under control. Those are strong, powerful beasts, yet their great power is harnessed for the purpose of running the race at hand. And so their running is purposeful, and so it is to be with us. Meekness is strength under control. And I ask you this question, which is a greater demonstration of strength on a human level? Is it striking back or is it turning the other cheek? Which really requires more strength? By far, it takes much more strength to turn the other cheek. Anybody can strike back, right? That's natural. Nothing very impressive about that. In fact, the great theologian Charles Barkley, he said, people always say, turn the other cheek. If you turn the other cheek, I'm going to hit you in the other cheek too. And so clearly, Charles hasn't heard this sermon. He hasn't embraced prautes, meekness expressed through gentleness. That, that's not what he's known for, but it is to be what we are known for, because it is, in fact, 
one of the nine fruits of the Spirit. So, that definition, proteis, meekness, gentleness, it is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge or retribution. So next, let's talk about gentleness illustrated. Gentleness illustrated. And as with the other fruits of the Spirit, proteis is most clearly seen in Jesus. It's most clearly seen in Jesus. In fact, he says of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, from that root, praus, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When you think about the ministry of Jesus, we see him exercising praotes all throughout his life. So many times when he was provoked, especially by the religious leaders of his day, and yet he didn't strike back. You know, even you, you might argue, well, what about when he cleansed the temple, right? And he turned over the tables of the money changers. That was so calculated and intentional and for a specific purpose of righteousness. I don't think we can say that it was him striking back. It wasn't him losing it. It was him doing a very specific, calculated, intentional act of cleansing. His meekness and gentleness can most clearly be seen. It is most on display in his final days before the cross and then the cross. Um, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus at Gethsemane. Judas is set to betray him. And what does Peter do? Peter acts naturally doesn't he? He does what comes naturally in an ungentle manner. Without meekness, he pulls his sword, he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, an individual named Malchus, and clearly this wasn't praotes. This is not what we just defined. It is not meekness expressed through gentleness. And so Peter, or Jesus really rebukes him in chapter 26, verse 53. Jesus says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Now let's unpack that a little bit, because this is, for me, one of the greatest examples of meekness, of strength under control. Jesus says, I could have called and brought down 12 legions of angels. Now, we've studied angels before, right? About a little over a year ago, we, during the season of Advent, we talked about angels, the role that they played in the Christmas story, and we talked about the identity of angels. And then throughout Revelation, we saw angels and their glory and their majesty and their power. And so we know that one angel would have been enough in Gethsemane. One angel would have been enough to defend Jesus and his disciples. But this says, I could have called 12 legions of them. And as we do a little bit of research, we find this to be true. A Roman legion contained about 5,200 infantry. Times 12 is 62,400. So in a very literal sense, Jesus is saying, I could have called 62,400 angels to come to my defense when really one would have been enough. All Jesus had to do was say the word and all of these soldiers who had come to arrest him, to ultimately kill him, would have become nothing more than flaming corpses in Gethsemane. But he didn't, did he? Instead, he exercised gentleness rooted in meekness, praotes, and he did so all the way to the cross. 
Matthew 27, 27. Think about this now. Put yourself in Jesus' sandals. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Again, all he has to do is say the word and it's over. What would you do? Jesus does the supernatural thing. He exercises prautis, gentleness rooted in meekness. As it says in 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And can I just say, this verse really is the key to being able to be gentle in the midst of provocation. We must entrust ourselves and trust the one who judges justly. Ultimately, it raises the question for us, this whole idea of turning the other cheek, this whole idea of being gentle and meek when provoked, do we trust God? Do we trust that by His power, justice will ultimately be done? Or do we not really trust that God is just? Do we not really trust that God is good? And so we feel like we have to take measures into our own hands to help God be good and to be just. Well, Jesus trusted the Father so much that he was able to say in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. So when it comes to prautes, when it comes to gentleness, this fruit of the Spirit, this eighth fruit, Jesus is our example. He is gentleness illustrated. Next, let's talk about gentleness commanded. Gentleness commanded. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Now that already tells you Paul's been provoked, hasn't he? He's been persecuted. He's been arrested, imprisoned. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, one who has been provoked, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so here, once again, we're reminded in these fruits of the Spirit, yes, Gentleness is a fruit, and the fruit is ultimately produced through us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we abide in Christ. But it is also a command, a matter of the will. And so we are also to choose to walk in gentleness even when we don't feel like it. Because the fact of the matter is, when we're provoked, typically we're not going to feel like being gentle. We're not going to feel like being meek. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to go beyond what is natural, how we feel, 
to the supernatural and to choose, to respond with prautes. Now, here's something to consider. Sometimes we get hung up on equating the power of God with visible manifestations, right? But is there anything more powerful than this, than exercising prautes? So here's what I mean. I'm, I'm all for healings. I'm all for signs and wonders. I'm all for letting God be God and demonstrating His power among us however He chooses. But don't underestimate the amount of divine power at work in enabling someone who is provoked to turn the other cheek. That's power. That's power. Let me share with you an illustration of meekness from uh, an author I read this week, James W. Knox, that might be helpful. Prautes or gentleness, meekness is like having a heart that is like water rather than a heart that is like glass. And let me explain what that means. When you were a kid or maybe a big kid, when you throw rocks into a pond. Did you ever do that when you were a kid or maybe a big kid? An adult, you know, um, skipping rocks, throwing rocks onto a pond. The rock enters the water, and there's this moment of unsettledness, right? And, um, it, but it doesn't last. There are ripples that are temporary, but then they quickly dissipate, and it's only a few seconds, right, until you can't even tell that a rock was thrown into the water. That's a picture, I believe, of what it means to have a heart like water, a heart that is humble, that is soft, that is pliable, a heart that expresses meekness through gentleness. On the other hand, are, are those who have a heart like glass, like the pane of a window. That same rock, very same rock that was thrown into the water and had no lasting impact and did no damage to the water because that heart was pliable, it was humble, it was teachable, that same rock breaks the glass and does lasting harm. I believe that broken glass is a picture of many of our hearts today. They're hearts that have become over time rigid and hard. They're in need of healing. They're in need of transformation. Ultimately, so that when we are provoked, that rock doesn't do the damage that it did to the pane of glass, but ultimately it's like the water where you can't even tell that such a provocation took place so that we can respond with gentleness the way that Jesus did. So there's gentleness defined illustrated, commanded. Let's talk about some very practical ways that we can practice this fruit of the Spirit. First of all, it's important that we practice prautes, meekness toward God. You say, well, wait, why do we have to be meek or gentle toward God? The reason is this, because inevitably there are going to be times in this life when we're going to have to face tribulations. Amen? Hard stuff. Some of you are going through tribulations right now, hard stuff that is going on in your life. And our natural tendency is going to be to lash out at God. God, how could you do this to me? God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, this is your fault when we get angry with God rather than trust him. Rather than receiving even tribulation as a means of his working all things for our good. Job is a wonderful example of meekness towards God. You remember that Job, well, you talk about a guy who went through tribulation. He lost his children. 
his possessions, his health. And yet it says in Job 1.20, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. That just hits me every time I read it. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job was certainly provoked, but he chose to exercise meekness toward God. He trusted God even in the midst of the harshest of calamities. And again, I know some of you find yourself in the midst of some of the harshest of calamity, and you are experiencing a season of great loss, a season of great pain, a season of great uncertainty. And the temptation is to do what Job's wife did, to follow her example. She said that Job should curse God and die. She lashed out. It was not meekness toward God. It was not trusting God in the midst of the difficulty. In contrast, God calls us to trust Him and to respond supernaturally even to Him exercising our meekness and truly entrusting ourselves to Him and trusting Him that He is sovereign, that He is on the throne, and that He will work out all things ultimately for our good, for those who love Him. Next we must practice prautes, meekness towards God's Word. Ever been provoked by God's Word? Maybe this morning? If we listen, God's Word will say some hard things to us. It will shine light on our sin. It will bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There have been times in my life when that has happened and I didn't like it. So I lashed out, I tantrumed, made all kinds of excuses for my sin, for my disobedience. All the while, God was waiting patiently for me to stop tantruming and to exercise prautes, meekness toward his word. As it says in James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And I would just ask you a series of questions this morning. In what way are you tantruming regarding God's Word and the Holy Spirit's conviction? What what kinds of excuses are you making for your disobedience and for your sin? Will you entrust yourself to God and trust Him that He knows best and receive His Word with meekness, gentleness, obedience. Next, we practice prioritize by exercising meekness toward others. And this is where it gets really difficult, specifically in two areas. First, um, meekness toward others when there is justified criticism. Have you ever been lovingly called out by a Christian brother or sister? If you haven't, you're missing out on a very, very important instrument of God's sanctification in your life. 
when they come alongside and in love confront you about a specific area of sin in your life. And I would ask you this question, how long has it been since that has happened? That might be a good measuring stick to say, hey, when is the last time a trusted brother or sister came alongside of you in love and confronted you about sin in your life, about an area that they have seen and witnessed and experienced with you and said, hey, because I love you, I'm going to take the risk in our relationship to confront you in this particular area. I, I submit to you today, that's, that's to be normal. That's supposed to happen. And if it is not happening, that should be a red flag to say, there's an element of community missing. It's a necessary part of our sanctification. That's why it's my firm conviction that every single believer should be part of a discipleship group where three or four other people are given permission to lovingly hold you accountable. And without that, I will make this statement, I believe it with all my heart, you will never be all that you could be in your spiritual maturity unless you have those kinds of relationships. When we're confronted with this kind of justified criticism, we have a choice to make about how we'll respond. Will we receive justified criticism with humble appreciation? That'd be prautes, where we receive it and we say, thank you. Thank you for loving me enough to take the risk to say this hard thing. Or will we respond with prideful defensiveness? As my wife will tell you, I tend in the natural to respond with prideful defensiveness. And I'm probably not alone in that. Now, there's two things about this kind of accountability. Number one is the confronter is to be gentle. The confronter is to be gentle. Look at Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if any of you is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, there it is again, gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Loving confrontation is to be marked with this prautes, with this gentleness. And then number two, we are to receive this justified criticism with prautes, with meekness expressed through gentleness. And Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Bottom line, church, every single one of us needs some friends who are willing to to wound us for our good. And when that happens, we need the meekness, the gentleness to respond with humble teachability that leads to our sanctification, to our spiritual growth. Where are you at in that process? So, prautes, meekness toward others. There's justified criticism responding appropriately, but then there's unjustified opposition, like the kind Jesus experienced. Those times when we come against, people come against us in a a situation that's unfair, it's slanderous, it's painful. And the fact of the matter is that this is, once again, I use that word normal, this is to be the normal experience for true believers. It says in 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to happen, should happen. So when, not if, But when we are the target of this unjustified opposition, how are we to respond? Like Jesus. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, 
patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with, there it is again. Boy, it's all over. It's all over gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Here we see the potential power of gentleness as it may even lead our, those who are opposing us unfairly to their salvation. You see, prautes, meekness, gentleness may in fact be one of our greatest evangelistic tools as others watch how you respond when treated unfairly. So, that is gentleness defined, illustrated, commanded, and practiced. Let me close with this last quote. Christopher J.H. Wright, an author, said, If God has been gentle and gracious to me, and He has, hasn't He? And if I would like other people to be gentle with me when I mess up, then let me pray to be like that to them. As a forgiven sinner myself, let me welcome others to the fellowship of the forgiven. Let the gentle fruit of the Spirit ripen in my life and relationships. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I pray that we would go against the trend that was spoken of early in the sermon where it may very well be the case that gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit that is least in evidence in the lives of believers. May this church be different. May gentleness overflow. May it be abundant and full in our relationships. May people see us respond to both justified criticism and also unfair opposition. In both cases, God, may we be those who respond the way that Jesus responds with meekness that expresses itself through gentleness. God, we readily confess we cannot do this on our own. We need a power that is supernatural. And we thank you that that supernatural power resides within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so may we learn to be in tune with the Spirit. May we learn to be um, in submission to the Spirit and His leading in our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.